So, two weeks ago, when I was here, I was preaching about seeds of gold. Now, if you were not here, let me allow me just to summarize what it was. We're, we're, I was speaking from the book of, of, um, of Matthew, chapter 13, and specifically using the, the parables that Jesus had to explain what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus used parables as a, a, a way, not necessarily to obscure the truth, but to appeal to the discerning heart. If you really understood, if you really wanted to know who Christ is, what the kingdom of God is, what the message of the gospel is, well, there you'd find it there in the book, uh, in the parables. And today, uh, allow me just to summarize what we did on the first week when we started this sermon series. We talked about the power of the seed. Again, from Matthew chapter 13, we said the first lesson is that the, the parable of the seed is talking about the way to the kingdom. And, uh, and then secondly, um, this particular one was, particular lesson also was the kingdom is us. So those are the two things we learned, all right, uh, at the beginning of the sermon series. When we talk about the seed, because that, that chapter, that particular one, Jesus is speaking about the seed, the parable of the seed, the parable of the tear, the par all about seed, talking about the way to the kingdom, and then the kingdom is about, or the kingdom is us. If you want to know the kingdom of God, we should be the expression of it. And how is that? In any one seed, there is a potential harvest or a forest, okay? So, so one seed can have a, a huge forest. One seed can produce a, a, a bountiful harvest. And so that's the potential in each one of us. And lastly, to realize this potential as a seed, we have to die. We have to die to ourselves. And I remember the outro of that verse I said, if anyone wants to come after me, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. To accentuate that, um, Galatians 2, 20 also said, uh, Paul expressing what it means to die, says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So that's what it means, death to self. The second week we talked about the perils of the seed. If we remember our agriculture and biology class, there are three stages pretty much of a plant growing. First, there's the seed part, what happens in the subterranean place, okay, underneath where it germinates. So that's the germination stage. And around the germination stage, the, the biggest thing there is about the root system because if the root system is not um is not established the plant will never live in itself and we talked about that and then there was the seedling and growth stage so the seedling stage and the growth stage and then the final stage which is the one that goes in perpetuity is the fruiting uh, the flowering and fruiting stage now in that particular analogy we also use that each stage the plant is prone to elements to the elements heat, sunlight, wind, whatever it is, but also to viruses and bacteria, things that are unseen to the naked eye. And I explained that it is the same for the seed, for what God has implanted in our heart. 
that we are prone to attacks. And I said the first one is the Satan. If you could push, please put this out so people can... can uh, um, Barry, if you could put this up on the, on, the, on the slide, at least you guys can follow. Okay? Uh, the Satan... First uh, Peter chapter five verse eight describes that he is like a a prowling lion seeking whom they will devour. Another another part that is a challenge to the seed or the word of God implanted in the heart is the sinful world. We live in a sinful world, and lastly, a sinful heart. And we describe that we are the, our worst enemies. Our sinfulness keeps us from achieving this potential harvest in itself. And the remedy, as we finished, was the armor of God. And lastly, uh, two weeks ago, uh, when I did speak over here, I preached to you and teach you, was the potential of the seed. This is where I had the diagram. Do you guys remember that diagram? Okay? That when we, we go back to the parable of the sower, which we'll be coming back to in Matthew chapter 13, verse 1, um, it says... The word was planted, the people heard the word, they understand it, and then bear fruit. In that cycle in itself, that is the cycle of discipleship in itself. And we talked about how we hear the word of God. Remember the four voices we talked about, those who are here? The four voices, okay, was the voice of the evil one that is at work, and we, we know that voice. And there is the voice of others. And then there is the voice that is in your head, your voice, and the voice of God. And I said the most reliable way to hear the voice of God is where? In the Bible. This is the best place to hear. This is the most certain way you are ever going to hear about God. Of course, there could be people who are saying, I have a word of knowledge from you. There is a prophet. But guys, this, this right here. Between Genesis 1.1 and Revelation 22.21, there you will find God speaking to your situation and circumstance. And I said, in relying on this and listening to this and all that, God continues to grow in us. And I quote my, my final one as I ended up is that, as you get to be a student of the word and apply it, then you become a disciple of God. Now, Let's see if you can remember this. A mango seed produces a what? A mango seed produces a mango tree. And a mango tree produces mango fruits. So the seed, which is the word of God, produces this is an exam. Disciples. The disciples of Jesus Christ. And the disciples of Jesus Christ produces the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If I was a DJ, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, okay, and all that. So that is where we have. So I want us to finish about this. So quickly, let's go to Matthew chapter 13. So if you want here, that was a summary. It took me nine minutes. Okay? Tukupamoja, guys. All right? Matthew 13. 
I'm reading from verse 1 from the New International Version, and I hope those of you who are following us online can catch us on this one, all right? Let's go. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood in the, on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Let's skip to verse 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anybody hears, or rather when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches it away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Verse 23. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, I love the way Jesus used everyday things to explain the things of God. In his attempts to explain and to give a description of, of how the kingdom of God was, I believe he was describing, wait for it, the condition of each one of our hearts. Inasmuch as he was describing the condition of our hearts, in many ways I want to suggest to you, he's describing the way we look like in the church today. Right here even in NCLA. Number one, the word of God exists in an environment that is hostile. An environment that is hostile to God. And that, that does not love God or seeks God. Romans 3 verse 10 and 11 says the kingdom of God shows us that the kingdom of God exists in an environment of unbelief. In fact, it is here where we have unseen forces working against us. We talked about this uh, on the second, on the perils of the seed. Verse 3, a farmer went out to sow his seed and he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. I have a picture of that if they can put it up. So that, give, give that as a vivid picture for us. This is the first condition of the heart. The path. The heart is here. The condition of unbelief. 
And many of us who are here, scripture is replete with instances where the devil is at work. The entire plot is to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is in this environment of unbelief that the evil one thrives. Number two. For those that respond to the word of God. What today's text shows us is that there is even a greater enemy within. Not just without, outside. There's a greater enemy within. Verse 5 and verse 6 of what we have read. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Jesus went on to expound on this condition in verse 20. The seed falling on rocky soil, verse 20 says, refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Hallelujah! They're right in front of here when Pastor Kibet tells us, come for an altar call. Ah, but since they have no root, they only last for a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. We are quick to blame the devil on everything. However, Jesus describes this particular condition of the heart that it is hard. And this is where the word is not established, neither is it rooted because our hearts are hard. This condition is more about what you see but not but does not have any staying power. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. No stamina at all. <clears throat> the, third, the third one is, is uh, and allow me to use this, um, this, this condition. The third thing I'm going to say is, as my children were learning how to walk, we would see them stand up and attempt to take one step and would get very excited and, and cheering them on. No sooner had they started, no sooner had they started, you know, to, to, to step their back, they fall down. This is the third condition of the heart. I'm using this for those of you who are parents or those of you who, who, are, who have been privileged to see that milestone in children's lives. Uh, you're eager to see your child walk this is the same condition. This is the same way this condition of the heart is. Other seed fell, verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Jesus explains it this way in verse 23. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The operative word here, good people, is being unfruitful. There's so much going for this individual, for this one, but they come short because they are not bearing fruit. Yet John, Jesus talking to his disciples in the upper room before he would be crucified and betrayed by them in John 15, 16, and 15 verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The last condition 
I'd like to put it here, is, uh, is, is, as we read here, of the heart, shows a unique process. A unique process that Jesus describes. And it's the diagram I just showed you um, last. When the seed of the word of God falls on good soil, it's somebody who hears the word, understands it with their heart, and begins, this one produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times. These, my good people, my friends, people who are here listening, these are the conditions of the heart that Jesus is describing in this parable. So here is my million dollar question. How does this help cocoa production? Alright. Allow me to describe to you what I believe these five what I believe are the five people the average five people in the church including here NCLA. In my fourth years of church ministry I can almost conclusively say these are the five kind of people in any average church. And this could be the possible conditions of their heart. So I am also describing who you are here in NCLA. I haven't been here long. But I think in my years of experience, these are the kind of people who are here. Alright? The first kind of person and the condition of their heart is the seeking unbeliever. And I want to suggest to you people that they're about 5% of any congregation. If there are more, that's a good thing. But in any average church here, you would find 5% people. These are individuals whose hearts are open. They are in the church for one reason or the other. Being in church, they're definitely seeking and or are open. They are open to be persuaded. However, their condition or the condition of their heart is unbelief. And remember guys, I said unbelief is not a bad place. Disbelief is the, word, the bad place. You... Unbelief is a place where you don't know. But you are ready to be persuaded. Disbelief is you are already knowledgeable about this. But you choose not to believe. Unbelief is as a result of where you started. Our sin. The unbeliever could be in church because they like the music. Or they appreciate the message. Or the community that they find. They are good people in here. They would be in church because they were invited by another individual, a member. Or, or they were bored. They wanted to come here on a Sunday morning. Ah, let's see if there's some action today. They could be here in church because their spouse forced them to come. Or they were threatened. If you don't come to church. <laughs> and so they're there. Or you, or you could be in this church because you like the Sunday school and, and our children's ministry here at Quest. Uh, you see that 
children are being shaped. They are learning good things, good morals, and you want to be here. There are various reasons. You could even be saying, I want to settle down to get married, and in church I will find a good man or a good woman. These are the people who are in church, and what characterizes their heart is unbelief. This is the state where many of us now in the church were. Paul describes this condition in chapter 2 and verse 1 of Ephesians. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, of the ruler, of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, who were by nature deserving of wrath. This is us, and was many of us. As we read today's text, it is this condition of the heart that is most prone to demonic activity, to the devil's grasp. Jesus says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. The key remedy to this is evangelism. If you're here and have never heard, have never chosen to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are in the right place. You are welcome here. If you're following us online, you are welcome here. You're in a good place. This word of God will bring and give you life. You are in the right place. These are the ones we should be bringing. These empty seats should be those people who would never go to church. You are the people. You know them. You know them in our neighborhoods. You know them at your places of work. These empty seats are, should be full with them. The second kind of person in the church is the cultural Christian. And these people make maybe 25% of our congregation. The cultural Christian is the individual that has been defined by the notion that those who call themselves Christian in this country. So that's what they are defined. In. And we say it's about 80%. 80% of people call themselves Christian. What religion are you? Christian. Since their parents were Christians or their grandparents were Christians, um, uh, they come from a community that goes to church. In fact, these people are just Christians because it is cultural. And let me explain to you. Because of where the colonial government allowed ministries to happen, you could actually predict and say, this, where, what tribe this person is. If that person is from Nyamira County, they are most probably SDA. <laughs> if they are from Vihiga County, they are most probably Quakers. Or Salvation Army. If they are from Meru County. I actually think they would be more Methodist. These individuals go to church. Because it has been a practice to do. What do we do on Sunday morning? Go to church. And you put your family together. And you go, if it's easy to come to the matatu, or you walk, or you put them in the car, however you go, this is it. If a single man has reached the point of wanting to get married or settle down, they will come to church to look for a good woman. They can marry and raise children 
with good moral values. These are the cultural Christians. These people will tick the box Christian in the census or in questionnaires. But really, they don't hold on to the message of the word of God. More or less, these individuals are no different from the unbeliever. However, the seeking unbeliever is different. In fact, I think the seeking unbeliever is better off because they know the condition of their heart. The cultural Christian deceives themselves that they know. They need to understand the teachings of the word to decipher the real condition of their heart. That is the remedy. James chapter 1 verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says, verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in with it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The third kind of person in the church, find out where, which category you, you fall in here. Eh? Ah. I call them the practicing Christian. And these guys are 50% of the church. How many? 50. Half of the church, I would think. Oh, by the way, I have not done a survey. This is Goey's anecdotal an experience, okay? If you put 10 people, okay, five of them would be this. This is my, this is, from my experience, five of them would be practicing Christians. Let me explain who I define as a practicing Christian. These individuals are the majority in the church. They have received the word of God with joy. They are big on coming to church. Church has become a major part of their lives. They participate in church activities. Sunday morning, they're in church. Prayers, they're there. Keshas, they're there. They participate in all of these things. They speak Christianese. Praise the Lord. Glory. Uh, this is one that Christians don't know. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm in this season, this season of life. You know? Um, I, I need to discern this. You know, that's it. Let me pray about this. That, these are the practicing Christians, okay? They, they have somewhat an active devotional life, but it's not consistent. But they pray. They have some idea, or if you ask them, where is the book of Nahum? They'll know it is in the Old Testament, but they don't know where it is. You, you can't trick them about, it, uh, about the books of the Bible. They probably know, but they'll have to go to the index to find where that is. Okay? Or they'll know these are, uh, those are smaller prophets. In the, in the, you, you understand what I'm saying? Okay? Um, uh, they look the part. They dress the part. They even talk the part. They consistently give an offering. And some even tithe. What is big for them is keeping up with what the church prescribes to do or to be. The institution of the church and what the church stands for is very important to them. These are the ones who have, who cheered the most after the lockdown. They said you can now go to church. They cheered the most. In fact, they were praying for that demon that locked the church. <laughs> However, when the rubber meets the road, the condition of their heart betrays them. 
when faced with a roadblock in life, they will capitulate, dichotomize their life. Ukuni, this is my Christian life, na ini maisha. Okay? This is, this is real life. This is what, so, and this is my spiritual life. They will dichotomize it. In other words, they will choose the easy way out or around things. And even if it compromises the very word of God they claim to believe, this is the essence of who they really are. They might be in business and say, oh, this is my biashara lakini, this is how business is. This is how we do business in Kenya. Stepping on toes, Pastor. Where people are not people are looking down. They have the form of godliness, but they deny the power of God working in them. In times of trouble and drama, they choose to leave the church or more so leave their faith. This individual is more a consumer of the church than being in the church of Jesus Christ. They will say, This is what I like about the church. This is what blesses me about the church. That is how you hear them. That is a consumer. It's like going and picking something at Quick Mart or Naivas. They acknowledge the Messiah, but there is a hardened heart. There is a hardened heart that has not responded to the Lordship of Jesus Christ through unbelief. I want to suggest to them, to you who are here, you need to repent. Repenting is paramount because you are majoring on the optics, on what people see and not really working on the transformation of your heart. To quote John the baptizer in Matthew chapter 3 verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The fourth person in the church is the follower of Jesus Christ. And I want to suggest to you that this person is, these people are about 15%. About 15%. Some of you are doing the math and saying it doesn't add up to 100%, right? But they're about 15%. And let me explain to you who these people are. I'm about to finish, guys. Then I will run away. This individual not only responds to the message but has made a conscious choice to profess Jesus as Lord. Their devotion to God is evident in their regular spiritual disciplines, have understood what, wait for it, their spiritual gifts are, and seek to administer them in the church. In fact, when Pastor Kibet asked, who are these people? Do you use their spiritual gift? They probably answered yes and were confident about it. Unlike the practicing Christian who is, a, who is big on what others see, this individual loves Jesus. And it is not unusual to hear them introduce themselves and to add an introduction to them. I am so and so and I am born again. Hallelujah. Glory to God. They are devoted to their faith in God and service. They are active in the church and serve in various ministries. They are dependable. They are regular givers. Not just givers, they even tithe. They make the core of the church. And as you look at the text, one thing about these individuals is that they have a lot invested in this life. 
And that probably is their Achilles heel. They have not invested or have less invested in the life to come. The condition of their heart can be described similar to an incident where a man came up in Matthew 19, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Ah, all these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he was a bowler. Great wealth. The challenge for this follower of Jesus Christ or for this person is that many of us fall in this category. Because you have more vested in this life and will struggle to give it up for the sake of the gospel. For you, you really want to agree with Paul's words to the church in Philippi. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if you really interrogate your heart, these probably are just words. I want to say a good example is this. And this was actually a true story for me. If their kid comes to them and tells them, Dad, I want to be a missionary to northeastern province, they would highly discourage their child. This could be an elder, member of the advisory board, even I want to say one of our pastors. It could be. It could be an usher or your music minister. Jesus suggests that because of what they have invested in this life, verse 22, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. No, son, do you, don't you want to do something else than be a missionary? If they were fully to commit, they figured maybe I should have a backup plan just in case things went south on me. If you read the story of Jesus after the miracle of, 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 in, of, of, of feeding the 5,000 people, at least 5,000 men, there probably were many more people who were there in John chapter 6 verse 35. I actually encourage you to read that. John chapter 6, but especially from verse 35 through 7. We see the miracle of him feeding the multitude. But what happened after that, many of us forget. This happened to Jesus with his many disciples. After his public ministry became big and he fed the multitudes with few fish and five loaves of bread, he gained many more followers. Midway through his ministry, he started alluding to the fact that he was going to suffer and to die, and that his followers should prepare to whoever wants to eat my flesh, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in, in me and I in him. 
Meaning, you will partake in my sufferings. This did not sit well with his audience and his followers. At this point, Jesus lost the bulk of his followers. The majority of his followers left. Kulikuwa kirend, full crowd. That when it just dwindled to a couple of hundred. You see, our text today, Jesus says, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. I'm speaking to many of you who are the middle class and above. <laughs> it is this condition of the heart that makes these you, you individuals unfruitful. This condition of the heart can be remedied by truly considering and literally counting the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The cost to follow Jesus is not for the faint-hearted brothers and sisters. Luke 9.23 Anyone would want to come after me, they must first deny themselves, Scripture says, take up your cross and follow me. The last kind of person in the church as I finish, for real, this time I'm finishing, is the disciple of Jesus Christ. I think the sad thing for me as a pastor is that these are the smallest group of people in the church. They make possibly at most 5%. These groups of individuals have not only given themselves to God, but by faith believe in Jesus the Christ and serve the kingdom. They make the core of the church and unfortunately they are the overwhelming minority. These individuals have come to terms with the reality of their faith and belief in Jesus and have considered the cost of following Christ. More so if it even costs their very lives. They have gone through this distinctive process of the cycle of hearing the word and understanding it producing a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, thirty times fruit that was sown. In other words, you will know them by their fruit. Matthew 7, 20 says that. What is this fruit Paul describes? We've said it in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. These people do not just give offerings and tithe they do this sacrificially over and above what they are obligated to. It is a lifestyle. They give of their time. They give of their talents and what they treasure. They have recognized that they cannot outgive God but only emulate who the Lord is, this gracious and giving God who gave his son for us all. They first give of themselves to God and of their time. And these individuals also invest in prayer. Prayer is not a ritual for them, but it's a posture of dependence of God, to, to, on God. The word of God is a light to their path and a lamp to their feet. The joy of the Lord is their strength. And most of all, they are fulfilling the great commission by preaching and teaching the gospel, making disciples who make disciples by living the gospel out. They make disciples by living humble and transparent lives, a life of accountability to God's word and the community of believers they belong to. They do this by inviting individuals that they inter interact with, 
to see who they genuinely are wrestling with the truth of God's word and the contradictions of their own lives their own fallen and sinful nature they continually attempt to model the love of God and use this as a currency to win others how do they do this they say to others follow me as i follow jesus the christ the son of the living god they are confidently saying this to that 5% of unbelievers whatever you have learned or have received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice and the god of peace will be with you as paul told this to the church philippi the act or the practice of making disciples that make disciples is informed by these very words paul saying in his last recorded letter to timothy and the things you have heard from me among many witness commit this to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also what is the condition of your heart are you a seeking unbeliever are you a cultural christian are you a practicing christian follower of jesus disciple jesus the christ shall we pray father forgive us forgive us for our hardened hearts forgive us for our disbelief help us in our unbelief father forgive us for being taken up by the things of this world the concerns of this world which are actually as you say in your word are fading but blessed are they who trust in the name the living god may it be father god that this word speaks to us condition of our hearts today transforming us into the likeness of your son ha and making us indeed a disciple jesus christ amen We've come to the end of our service today Thank you very much. I hope you have been attentive for those of you who have been following us online. Uh tell a friend to tell a friend that there are people of God here in LA in Langata uh who love Jesus, who are passionate about the word of God and who want to have a community of believers who discover what it means to live a life following Jesus in the 21st century. Invite a friend by its a friend shall we all be upstanding please allow me to pray for you as we close this um uh, this service father god thank you for the blessings of your word and as we go out today into another week i pray that to him who is able to keep each one of your people today from falling you who are able to present them before your glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only god our savior be glory majesty power and authority through jesus christ our lord before all ages and forevermore bless each one here 
Bless the work of their hands. Father God, continue to order their steps because the steps of a righteous person are ordered by you. I pray that, Father God, they would walk by faith and not by sight. And the confidence they have in approaching you because Christ died for them is risen and is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. That they would approach your throne of grace with confidence, and obtain mercy and find grace in their time of need. Father, bless them. May you give them joy everlasting. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Have a great week, guys.